Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Je vole sous le soleil Sans toi, rien n'est pareil Je vole sous ton ciel Je vole sous les nuages Tu allais, c'était bagage Je vole sous un toit Même si tes bras sont is Tegan Higginbotham and welcome to Rue Marque, the podcast. Named after a particular street in Paris that encircles the Sacré-Cœur and holds a very special place in my heart, this podcast is a celebration of French culture and a place where we can talk about food, travel, cinema and many other things. However, we'll also be going deeper and over the following episodes, I'll try to understand why, just like me, So many people are obsessed with tout ce qui est français. When I went back to Paris a couple of weeks ago now, I missed it so much and I felt like there was a whole special part of me that I closed off because I'm back here in Melbourne. Instead of going to a health retreat, that was my recharge, except I wasn't healthy because I was drinking champagne, <laughs> eating macros. I stayed in Loire Valley and um, took a trip up to Normandy, just fell in love and it, it sort of reaffirmed everything that I want to do and, and am doing now. In 2018... Paris was the third most visited tourist destination with over 17.4 million travellers hot-footing it to the city of love. French is the second most studied language on earth with over 82 million people attempting to figure out just what the hell conjugation is. Even locally, if you walk into any bookstore in Australia, you're likely to find a litany of books about French culture from Ageless Beauty, The Secrets to French Elegance, To French kids eat everything, what French women know, French women don't get fat, the truth about French women, why French women don't get facelifts. Okay, so it's mostly about the women, but you get the idea. But in recent years, I've started thinking about the way we look at and commercialize French culture. I'm wondering if it's all okay. I mean, if Napoleon wasn't actually that short, and if Marie Antoinette never told anyone to eat cake, peasant or not, what else are we getting wrong? And are these inaccuracies harmless myths? Or could our somewhat limiting view of French culture and what it means to be French actually be a little bit damaging? I'll be speaking with several guests who can shed light on my infatuation while helping me to debunk several popular French myths. But in the meantime, I thought I'd let you know a little bit about myself. I'm an artist based in Melbourne and over the past few years I've been fortunate enough to enjoy a pretty varied career. I've written for The Age, performed stand-up at the Sydney Opera House and improvised with incredible comedians such as Cal Wilson, Susie Youssef, Bridie Connell and many more on Whose Line Is It Anyway? On top of all this, I talk about sport, love Doctor Who and get the occasional acting gig where I often play the less attractive best friend of the lead actress. But another thing you should know about me is that I keep diaries. Lots of them. 
I started documenting my life in diaries from a very young age and since then I've had Dolly diaries, diaries I wrote entirely in code. I have Harry Potter diaries which ended up being not actual diaries so much but just books where I painstakingly copied out entire passages from the Philosopher's Stone, which is strange. I'll I'll talk about it at some other point, I'm sure, but let's move on for now. Not everything about keeping a diary is good. For example, telling your partner that you keep a diary is just another way of saying, at some point in writing, I've called you a m****. But I love being able to reflect back and look at what hasn't changed. For example, if I take a look at my Dolly diary from 2003... I see that on page one, and I will get this word perfect, I've written, Tegan loves sexy boys. Well, yes, I do. But the curious thing is that right next to that, there is a picture of Elijah Wood dressed as Frodo Baggins. And then you turn over one other page, and I've pasted in a picture of Kenneth Branagh. I mean, Kenneth Branagh's fine, but even now he's too old for me. And I'm not saying that older isn't great. I have no doubt I wasn't the only young woman who had some pretty confusing thoughts about David Bowie as Jareth in The Labyrinth. Dance magic dance in my pants, am I right? But maybe I just had a thing for guys in cloaks. Quite often, I think I needed these diaries as an opportunity to vent because I wasn't the happiest of young adults. I grew up in a dodgy town outside of Melbourne called Dandenong. Just picture Paris and then think the exact opposite. And the high school my parents chose to send me to just happened to be the worst in the area. It's like they looked at the first guy voted off the bachelorette and went, gosh, (laughs) he looks like he'd make a wonderful husband. You should say hi. At Cleland, I endured teachers throwing chairs through windows, classrooms that were later discovered to be ridden with asbestos. And I remember sitting there one day while my math teacher was taking her second smoko break for the lesson and thinking... I'm pretty sure this isn't happening at the private schools, you know? I didn't like Dandenong. I didn't like my school. But I would sit on the Oval with my friends day in, day out, and we would map out the trajectory of our lives, schedule our dreams, if you will. And thanks to my fabulous diary skills, I can now look back on exactly what some of those dreams were. For example, I'd planned, age 20, buy first house. Well, sure, kiddo. In that case, at age 15, you shouldn't have chosen the arts. And clearly, I wanted babies, lots of babies, all by 22. In fact, in one of the diaries, I've actually written, have children, be thin, showing that maybe I hadn't thought that process through. But amidst all of this, I found this one big reoccurring dream, this ambition I just knew would come true if I worked hard enough. I wanted to travel to Paris and fall in love. It's a good job me for being original. Like most Australian children, my first experience with French culture came in the form of a tiny orphan girl named Madeline. In an old house in Paris that was covered with vines lived 12 little girls in two straight lines. So thanks to some pretty canny programming decisions by the ABC, without even trying, I learnt words such as bonjour, regarde, écoutez mes enfants and pepito to mère grande famously spoken in the episode, Pepito is a big shit. My curiosity continued to blossom in primary school where I was first formally introduced to the French language. My teacher at the time told my parents that I had the best French pronunciation in the class and thanks to this positive reinforcement, I decided there and then that I wanted to keep learning. As time went on, my fascination with France grew. I loved the language, the culture, the stories, and I loved the idea of the French woman 
so sexy, so chic, mm, so much bread. So I continued studying the language in year seven, eight, and nine in high school, and it was in one of those classes that my French teacher actually mentioned that every year she takes a group of 12 students to Paris for a short exchange. I, I could not believe it. I mean, I could get out of this horrific school, this disaster of a suburb, and maybe, just maybe, make a life for myself over there. But alas, I had run away with myself. The teacher then went on to explain that she does take students to France, sure, but students from her other school, the wealthier school, and she would therefore be absent until the end of term. But the damage had been done, and I knew I had to go. Clearly, I'm not the only person who is guilty of falling in love with France at a young age and dreaming about it from that point onwards. So I spoke with a few people to find out exactly what it was about France that had enthralled them. What was that initial spark? For writer, producer and travel columnist Anne Verhoeven, who spoke to us from Southeast Asia where she's currently working, her love affair was quite different from mine in that it didn't actually take off at first. I actually did French in high school from year seven to nine, and I hated it. I was not in any way good at it. It didn't make sense for my brain. It just didn't compute. Going to French class was just something that was compulsory at my school. You know, everyone had to do a language, so I chose French, maybe based on Madeleine, the cartoon. And then, because I was lucky enough um, to go to a Catholic girls' school, one of the kind of interesting things that happened over my years there was I got to go on a trip to Europe when I was 15 years old. And so after all these years of learning French, hating it, not not getting it at all. I will never forget that moment, you know, landing at Charles de Gaulle and, you know, we took this coach um, into the city and it was raining when we arrived. A whole bunch of schoolgirls. My mom actually came along on the trip, which was really cool. She was like a parent chaperone. And I just remember feeling like absolutely in awe of this city. It was exactly how I'd imagined. It was totally beautiful, even in the rain, as they say in that wonderful film Midnight in Paris and yeah it was just uh, so basically it was actually physically being there and experiencing Paris for the first time that then made me realize how amazing France and French culture is and as soon as I got back I you know basically was kind of hell-bent on the idea of one day learning French actually about a year after that when I got back probably when I was about 16 that beautiful film, Amelie, was released and I went and saw it with a group of friends. And I, I remember I had a, real, a really emotional reaction to it. I cried a lot. I found it so beautiful. It really moved me and it became kind of one of my favourite films. And I think, you know, my brother too, you know, we both kind of were just, we loved it and were so swept off in the, the romance of her life in Paris and the, you know, that film had a real physical kind of visceral focus and yeah it just basically confirmed how much I loved France and it was funny because I was with a bunch of friends and I you know being 16 17 like everyone was a bit too cool for school and I was like in tears and as we walked out I just couldn't stop gushing over it and they were all a bit nonchalant about the whole thing so I remember thinking oh yeah you know definitely not everyone feels the same way and I just kind of kept it to myself and you know I was in my last few years of high school and I dropped French I'd really like flunked it so 
I just knew that when I got to university, I wanted to, to study French. For beauty editor and author Katrina Lawrence, France has played a huge role in shaping her life, which she writes about exquisitely in her latest book, Paris Dreaming. Chronicling her many adventures abroad, Paris Dreaming is heartfelt, deeply informative and a must for any Francophiles, especially those who know they won't get to travel for some time, so want to live vicariously through Katrina instead. I caught up with her in Bondi recently and we spoke about her enduring love of Paris, as well as those early memories that helped shape this passion. Yeah, but it is true. When I sat down with one editor talking about this kind of nugget of an idea I had for the book... And I was talking about all the things I love to do in Paris. He was like, well, that's great, but I want to know, why do you love them? Where does that go back to? When did you first do it? And that was like the penny dropped. And I was like, okay, I think I know where this book is going to go because when I sat down and, and I tried to list, the book covers 10, 11 times in Paris, but there have been quite a few more that I didn't go into. But the key ones for me were ones that um, happened at a really important life stage mm. or a, what in retrospect seemed a really symbolic age. So um, the first time we went, I was five. I was with mum and dad. And um, this is one of the highlights just because it, when I look back, it's like the memories are in a little snow globe because it was Christmas time and it was not snowing. And it was just to me, it was like the whole city just was full of glitter. There were fairy lights everywhere. And I don't remember much at all, but I do remember being on the um, Eiffel Tower and there were bud lights in the shape of a Christmas tree. And yeah. it was just this, I think it just made me want to live in this, you know, fairyland for yeah. life. So that, that kind of set the tone for me. Um, another wonderful moment was um, when I went at the end of year 12. Um, and it was kind of like this reward for getting through year 12 and for studying hard. And I was like a crazy person in year 12. And I worked to save money. But when I wasn't working, I was studying. And I slept in the study like I was just nuts. Wow. And I exercised a lot. And I counted my kilojoules. And I was just this crazy person. And I got to Paris. And I was still really tightly wound up. And then um, I found myself in Angelina for breakfast one morning and I ordered the hot chocolate and it was just mind blowing because I just remembered that I hadn't been treating myself and it just reminded me how important it is to just, you know, take those little moments Mm. and eat the chocolate, eat the macarons. So that was, that was something I still remember. I still remember the taste of the hot chocolate that morning. No, I think the reason I go to Paris is to have those moments and when I, I've got friends who live over there and every time I'm there, I'm, I'm like, right, we'll meet at this time at Café de Flore. And they're always like, oh my goodness, can you like get a bit modern? There are all these great places out in like, you know, the 10th and the 11th and these cool bars and these gritty little cafes. And I'm like, we have that in Australia. You know, we have mm. cool bars on the, every corner in Bondi or St Kilda or wherever it is. Mm. When you go to Paris, you go for the dream. You yeah. want the hot chocolate at Café de Flore. You want to sit on a seat where Simone de Beauvoir sat or Coco Chanel sat, you know, you want those layers of history that you just can't get in Australia. So that's why I go there. And that's what I've got out of going to Paris, I think, just learning to cherish those little moments. For comedian and presenter Jackie Mifsud, her love of France actually happened by accident. We decided to have our conversation outside a cafe in Melbourne whilst drinking red wine because this is a podcast about France, so why not, am I right? I um, I wanted to uh, move to London, to have, like, the London things. I started film, and I'm like, yeah, London, amazing. And I happened upon Paris by chance. So I had a friend from Melbourne um, who was, like, travelling the world with an Argentinian dance group, as you do, said, meet me in Germany, in Hamburg. I'm like, cool. Met a girl there, also from Australia, who uh, lived in Paris. She goes, meet me in Paris. And so I had to choose London or Paris. 
and London, you know, always seems really cool and, you know, there's like bands and stuff and all this indie vibe that I loved. But it was also for me dark pubs. There was no, like, it was the same culture. There's so many Australians there. So Paris was beautiful, like lit um, terraces. There was the language that I studied in high school, which means nothing, by the way. It's such a hard language to learn. And it was a challenge and it was a whole different lifestyle and, and way of living. And so I ended up just choosing Paris. And because my parents are from Malta, I had the European passport and just kept living there. But I do love the European lifestyle. The same in Barcelona, that they appreciate things, they go for long walks, they're, they're sitting down, they're having time eating. No one's eating a sandwich on the run. You know, no one's hopping down a subway, running down the street, you know, subway sandwich running down the street. They're like appreciating their food and enjoying the, the joie de vivre sort of thing, just having a, having a great old time, enjoying life, I guess. Yeah. The joie de vivre, or the joy of living. It may not have been the initial spark that drew me to loving French culture, but it's certainly something I've become increasingly attracted to as I've gotten older. We live undeniably fast and at times very stressful lives, reminding myself to sit down and just enjoy what's in front of me and to take pleasure in what I have rather than constantly thinking about what I should be doing is something I haven't yet mastered, I'll be completely honest, but something that I'm always trying to do. One such realisation happened last year when I got this job that I'd been pushing for for quite some time. And as soon as the news came in, I sat in front of my computer and I started strategizing on how I could capitalise on this new job and ensure it led to more work down the track. So I planned, I diarised, and then before I knew it, I was stressed. Suddenly, the thing that was good was terribly bad and I hadn't taken a single second to enjoy it. And I realised at that moment that if I keep doing this, I will never appreciate a single good thing in my life. So I slowed down, I invited my fiancé out for drinks, and we both sat there having a glass of champagne while chatting about how nice it is that I had work. French writer and philosopher Simone de Beauvoir said, change your life today. Don't gamble on the future. Act now without delay. And I couldn't agree more. I reflect on this often as well as another famous quote, lighten up, just enjoy life, smile more, laugh more, and don't get so worked up about things. Those words were spoken by my very first true love, the very old Kenneth Branagh. Love you, bae. Even for locals such as Le Mans' Pierre Trouvet, the jour de vivre is something he appreciates, but with one focus in particular. I think it's friends, it's very important to enjoy the moment. Uh, we really like to stimulate our senses. It's quite uh, a good thing in French culture, and that's why we are so fond of food. I can add um, that for me... Food is a wonderful way to know people better. When it's hard to speak, you can speak about food. It's a good way to be social in French. We speak a lot of food, uh, especially while eating. That's funny. <laughs> and with your family or your friend or wherever you want. And my favorite food is cheese, especially the strong ones, you know, like the camembert or roquefort. With all that in mind, I figure it would be a crime not to talk about one of the first things I think of whenever someone mentions French culture and one of the greater pleasures in life, cheese. (laughs) So late last year, I made my way to the Paran market in the inner suburbs of Melbourne to chat with my final two guests for this episode. 
renowned cheesemongers Anthony Femia from Maker and Munger and Celia Hinnell from Richmond Hill Cafe and Larder to hear about their relationship with France and in Celia's case, her relationship with Australia. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And to begin with, I've got to say, I was really pleased to find yet another person who could blame their obsession with France, at least partly on a cartoon character. Maybe looking back at childhood, it was reading Asterix and Obelix uh, comics. I love, honestly, I grew up on that every, every school holidays. I'd reread those and the Tintin comics and um, just loved everything about uh, European history. I went to France, I think the first time was... Oh, 2013, I think, uh, to compete in the, the World Cheesemonger Championships, yep. and, and that opened my eyes. Like you can always watch a, watch uh, documentaries, you can read books about it, but when you're there and you immerse yourself in in the culture, it was fantastic. I, I stayed in Loire Valley and um, took a trip up to Normandy uh, with the Americans, and just fell in love. And it, it sort of reaffirms everything that I want to do and and am doing now currently as a, as a cheesemonger, and just cheese as part of their everyday living like breakfast lunch dinner and you know seeing people in the street that old cliche of people walking with a baguette actually happens and they do bloody bite the top off before getting home i I always found that frustrating but i can see why yeah it was incredible and um my only real regret was not uh, having a a grasp of the the language um there was many situations that i found myself with some incredible cheese people from france who have immense knowledge of, of that ancient craft that I couldn't engage with because they didn't speak English and I didn't speak French and we had that universal sign language and, and tastes as well but just to learn about I guess different parts of um, uh, Normandy as to why they make these specific cheeses I just didn't have that opportunity so that's a continual regret for me I've been now four times to France and been all over France I've stayed with some amazing people especially in the Comte region but to not be able to communicate, it's really annoying. Uh, my vision has always been when I, I started in cheese um, 10 years ago was to eventually uh, move over to somewhere in the French Alps or even the Swiss Alps um, and, and run a cheese shop or in, invest in a, a cheese farm um, and, and just work the seasons. So working here in Australia in spring and summer and then going over and doing spring and summer uh, season over there. And um, the reason for that is you know, it's, it's a diminishing um, product um, with, it, with the forces of the industrialization and globalization. It's putting pressure on a lot of small farms. And I've always wanted to be able to earn a living here to be able to then provide back to, I guess, the cheese world and what it's been able to provide me in terms of meeting so many amazing people. I should point out quickly, just at this little moment, that of course... I was asking Anthony and Celia, who we'll hear from now, questions on the day. Of course I was doing that. However, Anthony had very generously put a plate of cheese in front of me for me to sample. And so in most of my interjections, you can tell that I have a mouthful of Comte. 
So I'm just going to sit back and let them continue chatting about their respective journeys. Cheese here is considered something very different than what it is in France, where in France it's just a commodity where you have every single day without really thinking about it. You always have a cheese platter in your fridge and it's going to be pulled out of the fridge before lunch or dinner to get back to room temperature and then served after your main and before dessert. And yeah, you go to the market, buy whatever you want, get recommended by your cheesemonger, but you never really put thoughts into what you put in your mouth, basically. And I find the Australian market quite fascinating because people are actually very interested into what they're eating, where it comes from, the story, um, the yeah, the recipes, the legends. Um, and it's a bit of a luxury product here, so it's just got another dimension. People have it as like... Um, a, a, a party platter they have it as like a, a proper dinner um, and it's just like a festive food and people really want to learn more about the product so I think from a cheesemonger pers- perspective it's very interesting market because the customers are really engaged yeah. into knowing more about the products I, I grew up in the south of France and I just like knew we always had cheese all the time and um, and I never really thought a lot about it I never consider it a career until I actually came to Australia and started working at Richmond Hill Cafe and Ladder where I realized that I love the product but the product for me just combines so many different things it's just it's the food that brings people together it's the food you can cook with it's the food that you know has a very long history um, why does that cheese has that shape was why do you use that breed of animal why does uh, the cheese taste like that does it change it through seasons um, it's just it's just got so much combined together. It's history, geography, it's chemistry, it's um, the whole human side of things, the animals. It's just, it's a beautiful product that combines a lot of very interesting subjects, basically. My best memory of France was when I was staying in central France in Auvergne with a, a, a really uh, intelligent cheesemaker, Ivan Lachet. And we would swap cheeses that we'd made uh, with a next door neighbor who baked bread. Uh, the guy down the road that uh, makes charcuterie and, and, and duck products. Um, so each night at dinner, we would have the pastis with um, olives from uh, the guy five minutes down the road. Uh, we'd then move on to dinner, which was usually preserved duck and bread and these incredible oysters that we got from the local market. And all it would cost us was the cheese and, I guess, the labour that we would do that morning. Um, the ultimate goal is within five years to, to be living here and there. Um, when I started with uh, writing my, my list when I was 25, I wanted to be, by the time I was 40, uh, having that lifestyle. Um, and with Maker Munger now three years in uh, here at the, the market, um, I'm hoping that one day I can find myself a, a really good manager to offer, a, um, I guess, a profit share to, to, to run it while, whilst we're over there, um, to be able to live that, that dream. So... Hopefully, yeah, by the time, so I guess six years now. I'm, I'm 34, uh, <laughs> so I've got six years to No pressure. Mm, just another little aside. I love that Anthony wrote his dreams in a diary too, although I'm pretty sure his diary didn't have a Backstreet Boys quiz on the inside cover. Thank you very much, Dolly. And it's funny that 40 is a big milestone for him because it is for me too. One of my goals is to be fluent in ish in French by then. Now, not so fluent that I sound like a local because honestly, I I don't think I can get there, but fluent enough that I can watch an episode of, say, Call My Agent without subtitles. That's the dream anyway. But back to the market where I asked Celia and Anthony about the differences between cheese and the way we consume them in Australia and France. I think like the whole French side of things is that it's 
even in France, like some of those cheeses were only like made in, you know, like summer and spring and summer season. And then they were hard cheeses meant to be only consumed like in the winter month. They were a source of protein for monks. Um, they were literally a meat replacement and stuff like that. And it's in France, we eat just very differently. Like cheese is never going to be your meal. Like we never um, have only cheese for dinner. It's like we have a small entree, we have a small main, and then we have a piece of cheese or a dessert pretty much. And it's like your little treat at the end of your meal. Yeah. Um, but we don't consume an abundant uh, quantity of cheese. It's just like something that just complements everything else you have through your meal. Um, where here in Australia, people bean, like binge on cheese. It's just like this is what we have for dinner, and like you know, alcohol and cheese, and it's just have way too much of it. And it's just then the, the balance of the diet, I think, is it's just off. For me, it's flavor. So in Australia, you know, everything's what people have been led to believe is it, it needs to be sharp, bitey, crumbly, and or it needs to be super runny. And that's, I guess, based upon our sort of industrial cheese industry. Um, it all stems from uh, during the World Wars when we had to make that one standardised product, uh, when they, they turned a lot of farms, etc., into munitions or sent the farmers to war. Um, we were required to make just this one craft cheese. So people grew up with this bitey, sharp, crumbly product. When you're in France, you, you stick to your region. So in Normandy, it was, you know, Pont l'Evêque, Libéraux, Camembert. But even like through the war, actually, that's how Camembert became famous in France. That's like smelly Camembert. It's because it was part of the soldiers' kind of lunch package through the First World War. And that's really how Camembert became popular across France in everybody's um, households yeah. because of that so where you guys had to make craft we kind of managed to keep the tradition going I suppose I really love that your soldiers in the first world war had a camembert camembert. Yeah. that's amazing yeah. and that's how um, poplar wood was um, uh, put together it's for all those hobbyists out there who make those poplar wood um, uh, airplanes etc poplar wood was I guess put together for um, camembert to, as a box uh, to transport it from Normandy to, to Paris uh, when they started building the railway. So uh, it's incredible. Um, there's a really good book out there for the cheese heads like us. Uh, it's called The Myth of Camembert, uh, or The Camembert Myth, sorry. Uh, it kind of links every modern history significant event in France to, to Camembert. So it was, you know, Napoleon trying to invade Egypt is because he wanted the Egyptians to discover Camembert. Uh, Louis XV, that was his favourite cheese. So it's, it's based upon factual things I guess like Dan Brown's uh, Da Vinci Code but with a, a very big <laughs> Speaking of sourcing local product Anthony was kind enough to recommend some excellent farms and fromageries and suppliers in and around Australia so head to rulermark.com to check out that list. Otherwise that's just about all we have time for this week on Rulermark. Next week I'll be chatting about Paris Syndrome and why so many people struggle when they visit Paris the first time around. But for now, I'd like to thank Katrina Lawrence. You can grab Paris Dreaming at bookstores or at theparisdreamer.com. Jacqueline Mifsud. You can see her show Perfect from the 26th of March to the 7th of April at the Comedy Festival. Tickets are on sale now. Anne Verhoeven. She is escape artist on Instagram, so make sure you follow her there. Head cheesemonger Celia Hinnell from Richmond Hill Cafe and Larder. You can join their cheese club. Hello. Oh, my God, yes. And Anthony Femia from Maker and Munger. Go visit him at Paran Market. And I honestly, I cannot recommend the Comte enough. Oh, and their buffalo mozzarella. Actually, you know what? Just, just get anything. 
it'll be a good decision. And a big thanks to Laure Briere for our opening song, Je Vol, from her album Sur la Piste de Danse, available on iTunes. She has also just released her third album, Un Peu Plus de Mont, s'il vous plaît, and it's getting some incredible reviews, so show her a little bit of love, please, and have a listen. I'm Tegan Higginbotham, and you've been listening to Rue Lamarque. Please share and subscribe and do all that if you enjoyed the show, and please feel free to get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. But until next week, à bientôt. Okay, look, okay, all right, I'll be honest. It's not entirely finished. There is a little bit more. If you want to stick around, as I mentioned, Anthony plated up some wonderful cheeses when I went to visit him. So this is by no means compulsory, but if you feel like listening, he'll talk through these three wonderful cheeses and offer more incredible insights into the rich culture of cheese making. Buying proper brie and proper camembert, like smell this one here. This is Normandy camembert. And have a smell. I don't even know how to describe that, but it's not what I would usually, um, in my head, think of as a camembert. So, and you can see that it's not runny; it's bulgy. No. So the smell is similar to like roasted um, cauliflower, garlic. Um, yeah, you're right. Actually, the garlic in there—that was probably what it was, and it was confusing. And when you taste it, thank you. I love that I'm just eating cheese right now, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> just talking uh, to the right people. You're absolutely right. There's vegetables in there. Yeah. The cauliflower. Yeah, yeah. So that, that there is a combination of things. Uh, the cows aren't grazing on cauliflowers. It's, it's what's in their milk um, as reflective of the grasses that they're eating. It's reflective as well as the cultures that are being put into that cheese to develop, as well as the moulds that are growing on the outside. So that's real camembert. Camembert should be bulging. It should have a beautiful rind that doesn't crumble. It should never run, and it should always have those incredible um, vegetable flavours that come through. So with people trying to avoid buying, I know it's hard because a lot of us buy from the supermarkets, but stop buying, this is me getting on the soapbox here, um, stop buying brie and camembert that it's produced in Australia. You know, our cheesemakers, and this is a controversial topic, but our cheesemakers should be making things that are representative of their lands and, and, and what they love. Not trying to make something that they feel is going to sell in a supermarket and that they can make a safe product that's going to sit on the shelves for 12 weeks and they've got to forget about it. Like, I understand there's a lot of pressure at the moment with, with milk production um, and, and, you know, turning to another source of income. Uh, but in saying that, you can develop an education take that time to then produce something very interesting and reflective and that's what Normandy Camembert is it's, it's reflective of everything about that region I think the entire population of King Island are after you now <laughs> there's not that many people on King Island no. so we're fine my we're dad booked right. a holiday there yeah. once for us and we got there and it's like there is nothing there's here cows, but that's it so yeah. you're good you're there's good. good steak there very good steak <laughs> it's cows and penguins in a cheese factory that's yeah, what it is course, really yeah and so the next cheese that we're going to taste is the Comte. So Comte is a style of Gruyere uh, from the Jura Mountains of France. And what you're going to notice with this cheese, it's incredible aroma. Uh, so it's got this sweet, nutty character to it. It's almost like a gentle Vegemite sort of yeastiness as well. Uh, it just lingers, lingers forever. So instead of buying that horrible cheesy mite stuff that was just the worst idea that anybody ever had, right. they should... Vegemite 2.0, 2.0, people should come and see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't come... 
together, how to just like ruin the experience. No. Yeah. I grew up on um, that Smiley Cow cheese and Vegemite, uh, Blue Costello and Tongue uh, sandwiches, and um, what else was there? Mortadella and Provolone. They used to tear apart the mouth. Um, I was a um, was a Vegemite baked beans kid. That's all I. W- well, not not at the same time. Yeah, sorry, your your look was <laughs> terrified. All I wanted when I was young was either yeah Vegemite sandwiches or, or baked beans, which I think was most Australian children actually. Uh, eat all the um, the baked, baked bean sauce. I used to get a colander out on school holidays and drain the baked beans, then put them back into the tin and put it back into the cupboard as if it hadn't been opened. Are you serious? That's yeah. messed up. I used to love that sauce. Dip bread into it with butter. It was beautiful. Paul, who you went to school <laughs> with, um, dips crackers into salad dressing. and sits, oh, yeah. yeah, and he was really ashamed. But he's also got ADD, so he forgets to clean up after himself. So when we first started dating, I just find all these little bowls of salad dressing around the house. <laughs> it was really bad. Really, really bad. What, what, okay, so that was, that's what Australian kids are eating. What were you eating when you were being, when you were being brought up? I, I don't know, but it's like it's don't it's not like you guys have like that really standard food and you've got like three styles of food and this yeah. is all you grew up on. Like we don't do beans. Like this is for us. It's like super English and super gross and it comes in a can. <laughs> yeah. and who who wants to eat cat like food in cans? Or flagwas in cans? Yeah, but it's like a bit different, I suppose. Um, and Vegemite is like absolutely not a thing. So even when I first tried Vegemite, I was like, why would you ever feed your kids something that tastes so horrible? Do you know like, some psycho Australian? Because whenever Australians give somebody Vegemite to try, they give them a spoon of Vegemite, or they put it on a centimetre thick. It's a, it's a light, it's a light dusting. It's funny because I've got a friend who is in love with it, and every time I go back to France, I have to bring her like, like literally jars of Vegemite, and she goes through it and she loves it. And I look at her and I'm like, ah, I don't get it. I've been here six years and I cannot do that. Um, so I don't know. Like we do eat a lot of cheese even in France. Like as kids, all those like semi-hard cheeses, like the Comté, because it's super easy. It's got those flavors that you cannot not like. Buttery, honey, savory. So we do a lot, of, a lot of cheese and then a lot of like biscuits, a lot of sweet elements, I suppose. And we do eat a lot of pasta as well because everybody likes pasta. Um, and yeah, we were eating those like. Uh, frozen kind of crepes so crepes but like filled with bechamel ham and cheese oh no oh, way a lot of that so lots of carbs as well and um and kind of rich food but nothing near vegemite and beans but you know <laughs> more french inspired stuff i suppose yeah, yeah we had beans you had frozen crepes i see the difference <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> and what is this third cheese here this one that looks the cutest of all of them yeah so this is a um a goat's cheese from the loire valley so it's called um, Shabashu, and Shabashu is one of the original uh, cheeses of that region. It was when basically goat's cheese started in, in the Loire, uh, all these specific styles. It was when the Saracens on their way through Europe, or before it was Europe, uh, during their invasions all along the Loire Valley or the Loire River, and they left herds of goat and sheep, and as the as our society develops uh, they started making cheeses with the, that milk of those of those goats along that, that track so this one here with a little wrinkly rind that looks like brains it's called geotrichum uh, so it's a penicillin uh, it's a yeast borne mould as well and it only just sort of ripens the outside so when you cut into these cheeses you get that sort of chalky heart which is just a pressed curd and then the breakdown of the curd which is that sort of fudgy like um, exterior and these things are great in spring you know, when we're drinking lighter style white wines and red wines, 
these type of cheeses with their weight of flavour um, match on the palate with the weight of flavour of the, those specific wines. And when berries like blueberries are now in season, uh, blueberry with goat's cheese for breakfast is stunning with a little bit of honey on top. Uh, you can roast these as well, like you can put on a little bit of a baguette, uh, put it under the, um, the broiler in the um, oven and grill them uh, with a little bit of olive oil and rosemary. Um, <clears throat> I feel like this one's one that should be nibbled. I just put a, the whole chunk in yeah. and it's a very... Um, it develops a lot of saliva. Yes, that's what's happening. Yeah. It develops a lot of saliva. Yeah, because they're more acidic, so you need those style of wines like Sancerre, Chanon Blanc, uh, Oak Chardonnay to help sort of take that Mellowing off the tongue down, yeah. um, to allow you to keep enjoying yourself. Like if you were to just have that on its own, you'd struggle to get through it. And, and it's intense, yeah. Yeah, it's like it's 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 like it's dragging the moisture out of my face. But that's why you need the bread as well. And that's why we always eat bread in France. We never eat crackers with cheese ever, mm. ever. It's not a thing. What about always have bake? fresh bread. We don't really have Queen's Bakes. I think it's developing, like, probably because it got brought into, like, restaurants and, like, fine dining stuff where you'd have Queen's Bakes and it became a thing. But I think it was a lot more of an English thing before it was ever a French thing because Queen's Bakes originally comes from Spain where it's called Membrillo, where it goes with Manchego cheese. Um, and that's where it all started. But we never... Even like, the combination of sweet and savory elements through a cheese board, it's... Usually we have cheese and bread, and that's it. We yeah. don't mess around. We don't like. You can have like fresh walnuts from the garden, or um, you know hazelnuts, or whatever you can find around the area where you live, um, or grapes or figs. But it's not overcomplicated. Like, and that's even really when you're celebrating Christmas or a birthday, yeah. because otherwise it's just cheese, bread, and then whatever you have started drinking um, and the end of that bottle of wine, basically that was on the table through your meal. Yeah, that's what's gonna make it through your cheese board, and then that's it simple and the bread's there to add like that yeasty element that texture that kind of like a really soft kind of um, yeah approach that really helps with the texture of some of the cheeses as well ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 